Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Coulter, obviously, if people are traveling, you got to have them stay somewhere else, not with you. That's true even when COVID isn't going on, and especially now. So you send them out to the Wingate. We know that. That's obvious. What you might not know is about all the meeting space they have out there, convention space, and even personal office space, because God knows I can't stand being with you any much longer. I'm going out there. I'm going to lock up my own personal office at the Wingate. You can do the same thing. If you need a business space, whether it's for yourself personally or or you're just tired of doing Zoom meetings, you just want to see other humans, but you want to be socially distanced, the Wingate has great business meeting rooms. You can space out. They have all the hookups and technology you're going to need for any sort of meeting or presentation. Or if you're like Ryan, you just want to have a place where you can work in peace and quiet, the Wingate Inn also a great option for those that live and work around Western Montana and the city of Missoula. If you have anybody coming through town or you want to get your kids out of the house, Wingate also has awesome rooms, great business rates. The pool is back open. They've done a great job of making sure that's be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home even when you're not. Welcome back. Tutel and Juanes minus the Tutel. We'll be back in the saddle one last day, one grand finale on Thursday. But Colter Nuanez, I'll be bringing you home this week. Then we're off the last two weeks of this uh, never-ending year that is 2020. And then we'll be back in the saddle after the new year. Revamp show. Same amount of fun. Same amount of great content for you. I'll be joined by a variety of guests. Probably uh, get another invite for this guy over here, too. Mike Nugent joining me in studio today. And uh, he'll be back, I promise you, as will Riley Corcoran, who was with me yesterday. Ty Gregorak is going to swing by on Friday. be good to have Coach Ty in the chair. I know he's been burning on a lot of things. He's He texted me the list of all the things he's got takes on. So That should be an interesting show. Yeah, yeah. Ty will be, Ty will be locked and loaded. Ty does, uh, Ty's got strong opinions. He's, uh, he's He doesn't like to hold a lot back. Pretty intense guy. And that's what you get for coaching within the Cackers rivalry for 15-plus years. But enough of that. We go to one of our favorite guests. It is a business angle with Justin Angle, University of Montana business professor, presented by Blackfoot Communications in Missoula. Justin, 
Back in the seat. How you doing, my friend? Do we have Justin? Yeah, oh, oh, there you go. Now, now, now you're on. Now you're live. Ready? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Hi, Mike. It's uh, good to hear your voice on the segment. Absolutely. Just trying to not embarrass anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of my game plan every day of my life, and I rarely uh, meet the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing as failing except for if you don't try. That's what I've learned during the pandemic. <laughs> no such thing as failure except <laughs> for just not trying. Justin, let's get into some of this stuff because I think we have a lot of interesting things to start with. But I thought you had an interesting point when we were going over this earlier today, talking about sort of the overlay between the coverage of sports, the coverage of politics, and how uh, not necessarily the style, but more the ramifications of it. There's a lot of different things going on in the media world, the way that everything's evolving with the new TV contracts. Are people going to go to streaming? Are they going to continue to be on cable? Are they going to do both? And we've also seen a gravitation towards uh, emotional analysis rather than tangible analysis and, and maybe not as clear-minded but a lot more emotion-driven, a lot of tribalism existing in the world. So sort of hash this out for us. I mean, how do you think that these two things are overlaid and how do you think it will affect the way that maybe advertisers see uh, their advertising dollars being used on the sports front and just the future of maybe broadcasting in the sporting arena? Yeah, I mean, the thing that caught my eye in the last week or so was the story that Steve Karnacki, who's an NBC and MSNBC political analyst, um, is going to be joining the Sunday Night Football broadcast team. And Steve's, you know, a journalist with a ton of sort of understanding of data science. You see him, if you're watching NBC News, like on election night, for example, you see him kind of working the map and doing all the data visualization and analysis. And so he's got a great kind of mathematical statistical mind. And, you know, that sort of way of communicating information to an audience is really valuable in the sports context. And I could see him performing really well in that context, trying to sort of map out plays and statistics and numbers, you know, in real time as as the story's developing. But it'll be interesting to see how he's received by the viewership. You know, if if he just sort of instantly is sort of cast aside as a political um, agent and dismissed by half the country, um, or if they just sort of see him as, hey, this is a smart guy that understands statistics and is doing so in the context of football. Um, seems like a risky play by NBC, but... You know, maybe NBC is already sort of considered part of the liberal media. I don't really know. Certainly MSNBC is, and that's what they built their brand around in many ways. But NBC, it's 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 unclear. Um, you know, and I think there's, you know, somebody for managing NBC has to be thinking about that kind of, you know, those implications for, for the brand, both the news side of the house, but also the sports side of the house. Yeah, it's interesting. He definitely... Um he debuted last weekend, so not this past weekend, the weekend before, and social media loved it. Um, but again, that's really? that's a bubble. So it's like, was it people who already loved him because they, you know, they're of the persuasion of the television station he was on? I don't know, but um, he he got positive reviews in week one. I haven't read anything about week two though. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this before. I mean, years ago, uh, you know, ABC was talking about putting Rush Limbaugh on Monday Night Football. Then ended up not happening. And then Keith Olbermann 
you know, he started in sports, went to politics, went back to sports. The guy's kind of been all over the place and, you know, left a trail of tears in his past, but, um, he still has, has jobs and, you know, maybe that, maybe the fact that these people are kind of more transparent about their political, um, uh, sort of stance are, you know, maybe it's less of a consequence just because people know where they stand. I can't, I can't quite, um, can't quite make sense. But Mike, I think you made a good point there. Like maybe the NBC audience and social media following is already kind of on the left to begin with. So it doesn't so much matter. I'm not sure. I think yeah. that's the balancing act that everybody's going to have to go through now as well, because things have become so polarized. Do you, <laughs> have a, a divisive character that galvanizes half of a base but then makes them incredibly passionate and garners a, a more fierce following while ostracizing the other half or do you try to go somewhere down the middle but maybe not get the total number of, of viewers and engagements as you normally would you know and Kronacki's kind of different than Limbaugh and Olbermann uh, you know in that yeah. he's not really a like fire breathing partisan He's just kind of a right. data guy. He happens to, you know, be a lot on on a more liberal leaning station. But, uh, you know, I think that that crossover is going to be really interesting to watch because I also think it's it's got potential to be overused. It's like it's kind of a novelty, and he's out there on the screen and his khakis and da 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 da. He's in front of the big board and stuff like that. But if he's not saying anything useful, I think people get bored of the gimmick. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see, but I, I definitely think it's a step above the short-lived uh, mistake ABC tried to do with uh, Rush Limbaugh and and Olbermann just kind of jumped the shark and became far too, um, you know, divisive. I, I don't think you can I don't think you can bring those guys on and, and hope to carry on, in my opinion. But yeah, ultimately, I think you're right there. Like Kornacki sort of made his name as an analyst, as a data analyst, as a data scientist in many ways, and so that's. He can fall back on that, and um, that expertise kind of sets him apart. He's not just spinning off opinions. He's using data to kind of back up his analysis. Absolutely. Two-Tone Nuanas, ESPN Missoula. It is the business angle. Every other Tuesday, Justin Angle from the University of Montana Business School joins us to break down the overlay of sports and business. And, uh, Justin, we keep talking about things that are, are public information and and. I think important for people to know, but seem just aren't quite common knowledge yet. But I think one of the most revelatory parts of the pandemic and of the last nine or 10 months is just all of the tangible and definitive elements of money and sports, particularly when it comes to college sports. Somebody was asking me the other night, you know, University of Montana men's basketball team, they played at Georgia uh, last Tuesday. So I guess it was a week ago from today. They got paid $90,000, which is the full guarantee for a Division One game. And most of the schools right now that are the Power Five schools, they're only paying about half the guarantee. I think Montana's making fifty-five, maybe $60,000 to play at the University of Washington tomorrow night. But somebody asked me, well, how can Georgia pay more and I said the answer is simple. It's the SEC network. When the SEC school aligned, schools aligned, and they signed that TV deal, that thing pays out each program, each athletic department between forty-five and fifty million dollars. So you're talking revenue that is twice the budget of the University of Montana. So they have more money than they even know what to do with. That's why they're paying, you know, assistant strength coaches one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That's why they're paying. Montana to come there for a Tuesday night game with 1,800 people in the stands, and they can pay them almost six figures. But recently now, we're seeing some uh, the, the, the the TV wars 
jump into the streaming side of things. I know this is the hu- a huge question in all of media. What is the future of media? How much influencing will streaming have? It's obviously going to have a big one, but who's willing to pay for it? Wh- wh- how do advertisers then get into the streaming mold? And how do they? How does that monetary influx influence the way that advertising on our screens proceeds? And so you mentioned, Justin, that, that Disney's signing a deal with the SEC worth three billion dollars. Tell us a little bit more about that and what sort of influence this might have on the landscape of of sports, particularly college sports in the southeastern of America. A few things there. Absolutely, you know the, the shift of the sort of importance of revenue to these college programs has clearly shifted to the, to the to the TV side, to the television revenue, because they can't really, I mean, they can have some people in the stands, but, you know, even if you're kind of trying to fill your stadium to, to some capacity, you know, it doesn't compare under COVID with, um, with what you can make through the, through the TV side. What caught me about this headline with the SEC deal was that in the headline they said Disney. They didn't say ABC Sports. They didn't say ESPN. You know, ultimately Disney's parent company, so that kind of makes sense. But the press release says Disney. You know, that's a signal to me that you know Disney's thinking of this sort of content asset as something they might want to deploy in a variety of ways. And we're seeing in the capital markets increasing uh, market returns to. Uh, what percentage of your revenue is attributable to recurring revenue? So, so, so subscribers, you know, a dollar of subscription revenue is worth more than a one-time dollar purchase in terms of how that translates to market capitalization because the markets are rewarding business models that um, have recurring revenue as a, as a portion of the overall, um, as the overall top line. So in this case, you know, you mentioned advertising. Traditionally, like these football games, have been kind of a delivery vehicle for um, for advertising. But you know, if we're moving to a world where we're in streaming, and you can put this stuff behind a paywall, and you can charge people a subscription service that they're sort of going to sign up, sort of set it and forget it. You pay your monthly fee. You pay your monthly fee to see how advertising fits in. Are people going to be willing to pay a premium to sort of avoid advertising? Um, you see that with, you know, different forms of content. We haven't quite seen it in sports yet. And the games are sort of structured around it, the ad breaks and the TV breaks and all that stuff. But the signal that, you know, Disney could be looking, and we mentioned this a few weeks ago when we were talking about the NBA, um, and this could be a, maybe a, a moment where the tides are turning and Disney's starting to think about packaging this piece of content in a different way. We'll see how it plays out. Two Tell Nuanas, one two ninety ESPN Missoula Statewide, SWX Montana Television, Mike Nugent joining me, Coulter Nuanas, and right now on the Rangage Brothers R V fold line. We're joined by Justin Angle. It is a business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Justin's a professor of business at the University of Montana Business School. And I have a question that's sort of outside of the realm of what we're talking about, but a broad question, Justin. When I was in journalism school at the University of Montana, one of the classes I took was all about learning about and analyzing advertising and overlaying that with the trends in pop culture at the time in America. And we've seen advertising be a pretty relatively new thing with the rise of mass media, particularly television, but also in in print national publications like magazines like Time and Sports Illustrated, Newsweek, Playboy, things like that. 
But uh, it seemed as if there was tangible and tactful advertising strategies that existed in the 60s, 70s, 80s that were very effective and very influential in the way people thought, the way they acted, the way that they consumed. Now, advertising to me, you know, as somebody that's 33 years old, it seems so overwhelming and also so pointless. I don't really know how you could reach me as an advertiser, but maybe that's just because of my, um, basically my, my complete immersion in the, the technolo- technological world that we live in. What is your take on modern day advertising as a whole? Is it effective and is there still similar uh, strategies that uh, do have an influence on us and the way that we perform and the way we form our habits as there was in years past? Well, advertising can be tremendously effective. Um, and now we're sort of able to understand exactly where it is effective and how it is effective and with whom it is effective. And that's part of this whole general picture. I mean, spending money on a Super Bowl ad, you know, that, that can, that can make an imp- impact, but it's a very kind of crude way to make an impact. It can shape culture. It can kind of be, you know, a bit of a, a, a cultural flashpoint. But in terms of being effective, it's not the same as micro-targeted digital advertising through your mobile device, uh, through your social media platform that companies are starting to invest in more and more and more. And the reason they're investing in it is because the sort of digital footprint that we're all leaving all over the internet, almost every minute of our day, we've got these you know cell phones in our pocket, tracking us. We've got these listening devices in our home, you know, telling, you know, we're sort of talking to them whenever we need butter or whenever we need more soap or whatever is the, so the amount of information these companies know about us, they're able to use that to deliver us with ads that say the right thing at the right time to the right person. And I think the efficacy of that type of advertising is being becoming much more clear. And then you layer that on top of world where particularly like in live sports, the ratings are down. The product probably isn't as good right now. And advertisers are starting to second, you know, sort of second guess that spend that they've traditionally done. Hey, maybe that money we've been spending on TV, which is sort of an imprecise tool, you know, maybe we can spend less on the actual, sort of content and how compelling it is and spend more on the, the sort of data science that delivers it to the customer, you know, the right customer at their most vulnerable moment. So, I mean, that's a bit of a cynical take, but you know, that's where the market's been going for years. And, um, you know, I think this, you know, COVID's accelerating that trend. And if, if anybody's seen the social dilemma, that this is a documentary that has been produced yeah. from some of the founding members of, of the, the tech companies, you know, Google, YouTube, you know, Twitter, Facebook, things like that. But the most chilling line in the, in the social dilemma is when they say, if the product is free and you wonder why the product's free, it's because you're the product. And that's where <laughs> exactly. we're at. And one of Ryan Tutel's good friends, though, my buddy Quentin, and maybe he's out there watching. I know sometimes he watches on the YouTube. He lives various places all over the world. But as he says, he says, inject it right into my veins because at the end of the day, there's no way to be you're either in it or you're not there's no way to live on the fridge you're either in it and like we are we're talking on an internet-based phone line blackfoot communications set us up with all these great communication tools 
And so you're either in or you're not. So I think that uh, even if you are cynical and aware of it, uh, I don't really know if there's any way to escape it. You have anything to add to this advertising? Because you're guy that well, believes in advertising. I mean, I you know this isn't the probably the proper term for, it, but I almost call them stalker ads. Right. It's like, mm. you know, it's like if you go to you know a certain home home repair shop that we won't give free advertising to sure. and you look at something on their website it follows you around right and my biggest complaint about that advertising is i want there to be a button that says i bought it leave me alone <laughs> i already got no, it i've bought the toilet stop stop <laughs> delivering it to me because i actually don't mind you know it's like we talk about you know and, and the federal government suing facebook right now for you know being all interconnected and they're they're worried about google and things like that and to a point i don't mind it because i like my stuff talking to each other and i like you know, knowing my habits to a certain extent so it can assume and, and make my life easier. It's kind of like the Google virtual assistant. But um, um, I, I have two questions on kind of what you were talking about on kind of ratings and, and, and viewership. And if, if sports more and more go to a direct model where they figure out how not to do commercials, um, you know, and the red zone television channel in the NFL is kind of maybe an early precursor to that because there's no commercials. Um, are they kind of biting the hand that feeds them? Because at some point, all these people that pay so much money to advertise on like NFL games are going to get annoyed that they're not reaching people, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I get what you're saying there, Mike. That there'll, there'll be an inflection point where, you know, if if the the content producers, the, the sports franchises, the leagues, whatever. And if they start to cater more to the subscription streaming audience and sort of, you know, make the advertise, you know, the traditional advertising product less compelling and inherently less effective would probably be the way the advertisers are thinking about it. Yeah. We're going to probably see some migration away. And, you know, I think and we're, we're, we're kind of already seeing that with, you know, companies not, some of the familiar companies not buying those big, not, you know, big TV spots and spending it more on targeted internet ads. I mean, they're not sort of big and splashy, but they're more effective in, in getting to the right people, right? It's about efficiency. They're trying to get their message to the right people at the right time. And so, yeah, I mean, I could, I could see advertisers pushing back, but like, they got to figure out their way to get their message to their customer. And there's other more effective ways, mm-hmm. but the money will just flow efficiently to, to where they get the best return. He is just angle, the business angle every other Tuesday brought to us by Blackfoot communications. One last point, Justin. I thought this was a great observation on your part with the, uh, the scuttle that's going on at the highest level of men's college basketball right now. My Shashetsky at Duke, Tom Izzo at Michigan State, Rick Patino. Where's Rick Patino now? Does he have a job or is he just is he floating around? I think he's back at some small yeah. Hofstra or something. Hofstra, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that. It's just it's just truly amazing the scandals that you can get involved in at in Division One athletics and still find yourself in point. It's, it's I don't know what else yeah, you can do to get blackball fodder for people who criticize college athletics. I mean, man, like I don't know what you can do to get blackballed from something if you uh, did what Rick Patino did and still have a job. But regardless, we're not going to go there but there's a lot of talk amongst some of the most powerful men in men's college basketball. Uh, I think Duke has officially canceled the rest of its non-conference games. Mm-hmm. Michigan State's con- contemplated doing the same thing. And there's a lot of scuttle about this. And on one hand, I think the optics are to read in that this is hard on the kids from the mental health perspective, from the uh, pandemic perspective. But more it, more realistically, it seems as if this is a backdoor way for the Power Five to 
split itself from the NCAA, find a way to replicate the college football model, the college football playoff model, where the Power Five basically control everything. They control all the money, and then the Power Five would somehow then enact its own NCAA tournament. We've uh, talked about this on the show before, but now it seems like this is gaining more traction, especially behind closed doors. The NCAA gets raked over the coals, and I think justifiably so in a lot of ways. But there also is an essential nature to the NCAA. The garnering and administering of championships is essential, particularly when it comes to non-revenue sports. There are 32 varsity sports offered at the Division One level, many of which are not mm-hmm. followed heavily by fans, but many of which are very essential to enhancing the culture of a campus and also just promoting the true nature of competition, the true nature of the actual phrase student-athlete. And so I worry that if the NCAA basketball tournament goes away in terms of the sponsorship from the NCAA, that will be a huge financial hit and maybe even the, the final nail in the coffin for the organization. And so you could say, well, the, the tournament will still go on and the and most of the people that benefit from it still will. But I just worry about what's going to happen to the other championships. Well, those go by the wayside. But we have women's soccer championships or you know indoor track and field, outdoor track and field, cross country, whatever it might be. But Justin, just, just your take on this potential fracturing and, and the way that money is influencing uh, pretty much all elements of college athletics right now. I mean, you lay it out there well, Coulter. I mean, this is sort of a, a classic kind of um, power situation. Who has the power? And, you know, what we saw in football is the power of five conferences, the, the teams, the universities um, had the power. And we're seeing that sort of replicated in the basketball space right now. And under the stress of COVID, it's an opportunity for these schools to sort of exert that power. And I think there, are, you know, th- there is a moral foundation to the argument that, you know, is this the best thing to be doing with our student athletes right now? Um, I think that's a fair question. You know, I think it was Patino was sort of making the first comment saying, you know, why are we so focused on March madness? There's nothing wrong with May madness. So like pressing pause on the season, that's a, you know, reasonable people can disagree about that. There's, there's a good faith debate to be had, but I think your point about, Hey, maybe this is, an opportunity for these schools, um, the really sort of dominant players in basketball to split away and take control um, of the administration of their championship and their schedules away from the NCAA. Will that be a death knell to the NCAA? I I don't know. Um, It certainly would force them to think uh, creatively about how to fund all the infrastructure associated with all these other sports. Um, it's a tough one. I mean, we've talked about this before. I mean, the, the role of college athletics in the lives of so many folks, myself included, were, you know, it was such an important part of my life. And I see it as an important part of life uh, for many of the students here at the University of Montana. Um, but like this situation kind of lays bare how kind of obvious it is that are these, you know, football players in the power five conferences Are these basketball players in the power five, are these really student athletes? Right. Does it make sense to have them kind of go through the motions of being a college student. It kind of just cheapens that whole, I don't know. It just makes it obvious that this is maybe a charade of some kind. And, you know, if that curtain gets pulled back, what's the future of college athletics in general? Like, does it make sense to have college athletics? Those are big questions. We're not going to see those resolved anytime soon, but um, 
yeah, it's sort of bringing things to somewhat of a, a tipping point, if you will. Absolutely. To me, just from the outside, it seems a lot more realistic in football, where it's where the the infrastructure is more or less there already. The grouping, the Power Five. Yeah. I think that basketball, the the Power Five needs to be careful what they wish for because I think that some of that that must see TV event of March Madness is the games going on in the middle of the day on Thursday and Friday and the 16 playing the one and the hope that you're going to be the, what was it? UMBC or whatever. Right. Maryland, Baltimore you know, County. Yeah. That, that pulls that upset. And it's like, I don't know that you get nearly the same audience if it's a 16 team tournament of schools entirely from the power five. Like, I think there'll yeah. be an audience, but it's like, I don't sit down and watch sec basketball. Ever. Right. Right. So it's like, I think that's dangerous. But the question I have for you is not really necessarily related to those two things. But do you think that Title IX plays into this at all? Hmm. Because, you know, the funding that the NCAA gets from March Madness that absolutely supports the infrastructure for every championship outside of basketball and football um, or even lower level football, you know, would be impacted if the Power Five left. So how do those Power Five schools... You know, I just think the Title IX conversation is something that they would have to really think through because they're going to have to spend money somewhere to make sure they're being equal in all things athletics. That's very interesting. And then who administers what? Yeah, I mean, sports. you can't compartmentalize just football and basketball. So, you know, Title IX would, would apply legally to whatever entity these Power Five groups would form. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think it is a consideration. I'm not exactly sure how it plays out, but I don't think they'd be exempt from it at all. Fascinating. This is we are going to readdress this. We are out of time today, but we'll be back after the new year, the first Tuesday of the new year. Let's plan on continuing this discussion and much, much more. Great stuff, Justin. It is the business angle with Justin Angle, University of Montana business professor. Every other Tuesday, and we'll be back the first Tuesday of 2021. So catch us then. Presented by Blackfoot Communications in Missoula. Thanks so much for joining us, Justin. We'll talk to you after the new year. We're late. We got our new Grizz greats for you. Two Tell Nuanas with Mike Nugent back after this. Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot. Connect to more. Welcome back, 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Mike Nugent joining me, Coulter Nuanas in studio. Tutel Nuanas is lasting for one more week. Ryan Tutel will make his illustrious final appearance on the show on Thursday. But Mike Nugent, friend of the show and uh, contributor, also co-host of the Grizz Fan Podcast, kind enough to join me in studio. Going to play a little bit of our latest Grizz Greats episode. It features former University of Montana Athletic Director Jim O'Day. You might wonder, well, why do we do an interview about 1995 with Jim O'Day when he was not the AD until 2005? But Jim worked in the private sector, first as a sports writer and then as a uh, overall newspaper owner and editor uh, for the, of the Cup Bank Breeze. He's from the Highland, but he also worked uh, in fundraising for the University of Montana, and he helped facilitate 
a charter flight from Great Falls that brought a bunch of people from the High Line across the country during that 1995 season to watch the National Championship game, which, by the way, the actual 25th anniversary is tomorrow. Stay tuned for that. We have a special Grizz Greats coming out for you as well as we pump out 25 podcast episodes to commemorate that uh, that great accomplishment by the University of Montana. And also then Jim has great perspective because of the uh, the fact that he did take over working at UM Athletics in the late 90s, first with under Wayne Hogan and then took over as the AD in 2005. The president, precedent that it set as well as the expectations that it set, that 1995 win, it's what Grizz football has become and it's why Grizz football has some of the highest expectations in all the land. So here's a little Bite from Jim O'Day's podcast. It's up right now, grizzgreats.com. You can check it out there or you can find it at 1029ESPN.com. About the second week, we started thinking, you know, if we go to a national championship game, how do you get? How do you get to West Virginia? Right. How do you get to Huntington? That's not an easy place to get to. And I got talking to, I have a cousin, George McCabe, in Great Falls, and his wife, Connie, at the time, worked for a travel agency. So they started looking at, could we get some charters out of Great Falls because they got they were looking at Missoula. We we're all starting to talk. You know, you, you got to start early because you only had a week between. Sure. And uh, lo and behold, we got that chance and we had one plane and it filled up from the High Line and Great Falls area. Quick, we had a lot of Great Falls kids on the team. Uh, in Cut Bank, we had Mike Kowalski who played. Uh, Valier, uh, we had Scott Curry. And so the Currys and the Kowalskis, and we had all these people from around those areas, they couldn't wait to try and get, it was a once in a lifetime thing. And we had listened to the Bobcat fans tell about their three national championships all our lives. We were not gonna miss this one. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. In this episode, we're joined by former University of Montana Athletic Director Jim O'Day. Back in 1995, Jim O'Day was not yet working at the University of Montana. He had worked for a great number of years as a sports writer, a editor of a newspaper, and then an owner of a newspaper in Cut Bank, Montana, and had also been involved with the Grizzly Scholarship Association in various capacities. And he helped organize a charter flight from folks from the High Line and all around central Montana, including Great Falls, to make the trip to Huntington, West Virginia to watch Montana's 1995 National Championship game victory over Marshall in December of that faithful year. In 1997, O'Day started working with the University of Montana Athletic Department. He'll give you some more of the details in the intro of this podcast. And ultimately, he rose to become the athletic director at the University of Montana. O'Day provides great perspective as a native Montanan who's been involved in sports his entire life, particularly one who guided a athletic department spearheaded by a ferocious football monster in the Montana Grizz football program that had to live up to the expectations that were set by that first set of national champions 25 years ago. Please enjoy Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions with Jim O'Day. Grizz Greats, proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank of Missoula. And we got that, uh, i never forget, we got the planes and we got going. At first, My first indoctrination into John Hoyt, who was mm-hmm. one of our great grizzly greats, investors and donors. And, and uh, I didn't know who this 
little gentleman was, but he was having a great time on the plane, and I thought he was probably going to get, you know, thrown off or whatever. He was uh, he was pretty entertaining, and finally someone says, "That's that's John Hoyt," and uh, our relationship at that time started then. He he was a wonderful man, but when you would come in and you would you'd fly in, and of course you know Huntington is right there, kind of at the corner of Ohio and Kentucky yeah. and West Virginia. And people were flying into airports in all the different states. Mm -hmm. But then when you got into Huntington, where we were all staying, and they had this big hall where they had this big party, as one plane had come in, you could just see it, and it was just growing and growing and growing. I remember the people selling the beer had run out and didn't know what to do. They were not used to the Montana people. And this was early. <laughs> this, this, this. 7 a.m.? No, you think. But you'd see people you hadn't seen in so long. And people, I mean, it was just, it was incredible. I will never forget that because I remember the next year, I took my two older boys with me because I said, I want you to experience what I got to experience. It was phenomenal hmm. it was just it was it was one of the most amazing things that i had ever been through and it ended up being an incredible thing for the university of montana how, how many people coulter have cited that very party that was they had the the area reserved because right. they knew people were coming but no one had any idea who who was coming how many charters going to different airports mm -hmm. it wasn't some of it was organized through the university and stuff sure. but a lot of it was not and all of a sudden, just wave after wave of grizzlies are rolling through the door. And, and to this day, there are several people we've spoken to who go, hands down, that was the greatest sports slash school slash party moment of my life of that that evening prior to that game, right? I mean, it seems like that's the moment where it was sort of this tipping point for when people made it a true priority to go see the Grizz wherever they were playing. Why do you think that was, though? I mean, what was the thing that made the Grizz so allure, have such an allure? Well, I think it was that, you know, it, it, it had taken a long time to build this success. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, you were at the pinnacle of where you wanted to be. Yeah. You wanted to be playing for a national championship. And, you, I mean, our congressional delegation in Washington had come. To, everybody right. was coming. Right. Right. People who lived in Florida were coming. People, you know, it, just, it, was, a, it, was, it was more than a homecoming. You know, the numbers grow as, as years. I remember when I was on the selection committee and I saw the number and they have the breakdown of how many fans and how many tickets are sold. You know, and people would say, oh, there was 10,000 from Montana. It was really probably closer to three in reality is what it shows. I think the ticket sales were 2,500 and you probably had another 500 bought them elsewhere. But it's still, when you take 2,500 people or 3,000 people that are around Montana and you find them on the other side of the country, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and I, I don't care what school you're at. I mean, if you're a big school and you're going to bowl games, you're not getting a lot more than that. Right. You're there's really a certain di there's a certain dynamic too that you know, with the exception of the oats and barley that all the beers made with sports is Montana's greatest export. Right. No, I mean, true. it's the it, that was sort of the moment where Montanans had a chance to be on the national stage collectively for the first time. But do you think having a quarterback from Montana, particularly from your neck of the woods, galvanized people? Do you think that Dave Dickinson was a huge factor in this as well? I'm never going to give Dickie that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> he, he would say the same. You know, I, I was very fortunate in that Mike, call, or Mike Kowalski roomed with Dave right. Dickinson and uh, Jamer Bartell and, and guys like that. So we got to know kids on the team. Over, and, of course, Matt Kempfert. We got to know through Al Kempfert. So, I mean, we knew some of the kids on the team. 
Um, you know, Dickie just was one of those guys that just exemplified everything that was good about Grizzly Athletics mm-hmm. at the time. You know, he was a hard worker. Of course, everybody had him going to med school. Um, he was not always sure that that's what he wanted to do. But, you know, Dickie's a smart guy, a good guy. I got a chance when he one year when we went and played in the GAA golf tournament, and he was on our team, and he hadn't played golf in a while. And the putts he made over and over and over again, you're thinking, this guy, no matter what he does, if he plays hockey, if he plays basketball or whatever, but he makes you win. He makes you win. And uh, I, I think that extra special thing, you know, Johnny Edwards did it mm-hmm. the same way, you know, just willed you. To, Dave was beat up in that national championship yeah. game. Yep. That kid hardly had a wing to throw. You know, guys like that, people rally around that. And you see that in all levels of football when they rally around. And, and I think that was kind of what day they, they, everyone rallied around him. And he maybe have not had his best physical situation at the time, but he was not going to lose. You have uh, the game, and we all know, you know, you got the safety, the drive, the kick, all, you know, everything that goes into it. When, when the game comes to a conclusion, and it's the Grizzlies are national champions, what, what was your experience of the, the minutes and hours after, just sort of in the immediate aftermath? Obviously, great celebration, but also sort of a, all of a sudden you break like all, all the anticipation to do this, and now it's done, and then what? Well, I, I remember us lining up for that kick. Uh, I remember Mike Gellhart catching that fourth down pass, yeah. which was, you know, again, I always said if we had to play that Marshall team 10 times, we might have beat them once. They were so talented. I think they had three or four kids go in the NFL. I mean, they were in a, a talented team, and that was before they had Randy Moss the next year. But, and I, I can still remember my ears still kind of hurt. Uh, from people that were adding all these Clorox bottle, uh, whatever, and full of rocks, and just shaking <laughs> those things. The whole, oh my God, I'll never forget that. You're just going about half crazy because it was on and on. And uh, when Andy Larson lined up for that kick, and thinking, I hope people realize how big this is if he makes this. This is this is bigger than most people realize, and I hope we're ready because it could turn things around. And uh, you know, from my angle, where we were sitting, you couldn't tell if the kick was. You're just sitting and waiting, waiting to see what that referee's going to do. And we raised, it was, it was just, it was stunning. And then afterwards, going down, and we were down on the field, of course, we saw the Kowalskis and the, the Currys and, and, and all those different people. And it, and then I remember getting ready to leave, and I can still picture Bill Johnson trying to hand out beer. They had given up trying to sell beer. Yeah. They were just <laughs> handing it to anybody that walked by. And the place was nuts because we had to get back on the airplane and fly back home. Right. But um, I think it was just it was nice just not to hear the, the rocks pounding in those, in, in those containers at the time. But it was numb. I, I, I think you were numb. You know, you just kind of sat there and thought, wow, this is huge. And it, and it was. It was a pivotal moment in the history of the University of Montana. We're up against it. A little bit more. Mike Nugent with me, Coulter Nuanas, 2 tail Nuanas, 129 ESPN Missoula. 
Coulter, obviously, if people are traveling, you got to have them stay somewhere else, not with you. That's true even when COVID isn't going on, and especially now. So you send them out to the Wingate. We know that. That's obvious. What you might not know is about all the meeting space they have out there, convention space, and even personal office space, because God knows I can't stand being with you any much longer. I'm going out there. I'm going to lock up my own personal office at the Wingate. You can do the same thing. If you need a business space, whether it's for yourself personally or you're just tired of doing Zoom meetings, you just want to see other humans, but you want to be socially distanced, the Wingate has great business meeting rooms. You can space out. They have all the hookups and technology you're going to need for any sort of meeting or presentation. Or if you're like Ryan and you just want to have a place where you can work in peace and quiet, the Wingate Inn also a great option for those that live and work around Western Montana and the city of Missoula. If you have anybody coming through town or you want to get your kids out of the house, Wingate also has awesome rooms, great business rates. The pool is back open. They've done a great job of making sure that's going to be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home even when you're not. Welcome back. Well, to 9 ESPN Missoula, Tutel Nuanez. No Tutel, he'll be back on Thursday for one last final episode, close out 2020. Mike Duja joining me, Coulter Nuanez, in studio. If you miss anything in the podcast, excuse me, if you miss anything in the show, you can find it on the podcast. I got podcasts on my brain because I did. Chris Fan Pod, look it up. Yeah, I did what? You know, uh, 275 minutes of podcasting with you guys last night. All quality. I can't wait to. Uh, to absorb this into our ESPN podcasting network because it's a great thing. Go subscribe to the Grizz Fan Podcast as well. But if you missed anything in this show, go check it out on the podcast, 129ESPN.com. Click on the podcast tab. Podcast is brought to us by Blackfoot Communications as well as the Wingate by Wyndham Hotel. An agreement's an agreement. A promise is a promise. We recorded the Grizz Fan Pod for a long time last night, and one of our good buddies, Britt Wahlberg, he... He went out and he said, I, I need some advertising on Nugent and Nuanas tomorrow. And even though you guys are... Yeah. So tell me how this works. You and Britt are, um, I wouldn't say rivals, well, but I mean, you guys work for different companies yeah, in the real estate I, I world. manage Berkshire Hathaway. Britt sells for uh, Windermere. Right. Yeah. So, but you guys are good friends. Absolutely. And, and you guys work together a lot too, or sometimes together. Yeah, we work together a lot on like association things. We okay. both help run the MLS, stuff like that. Um, and we've done a lot of deals together just because having a good relationship helps, but... No, I mean, in theory, we're competitors, but real estate's a little bit different. You know, it's like you're competitors with everybody, but you need to get along with people. Right. But here's the thing. It's like I said at the top of the show, uh, I'm I'm in this to win it. <laughs> I so, know you, you know, are. Those other 39 people on whatever, <laughs> whatever list it is now, you know, we got to set them aside. And part of that is, you know, selling my soul to the, you know, non-corporate <laughs> structure of this wonderful Montana-owned company. That's right. Um, and with that, I got to do an ad read. He, he does. Mike's ad read on behalf of... Well, let me let me read the ad, Coulter. I, I know how to do this. Calm down. Um, hi, I'm Mike Nugent. And while I'm here to talk about Grizz Sports, I'm not here to talk about myself, but to talk about another realtor here in Missoula. His name is Brent Wahlberg, and he works at Windermere Real Estate. Did you know that Brent Wahlberg has won Realtor of the Year three times? I've only won it once. The next time I sell my house, you better believe I'm listing with Brent. Oh, it's good. It's great. You you did awesome. You're you're very smooth in the read, and uh, you guys are both great resources in the real estate community. So, I encourage everybody to to reach out to 
both of you. The, rea- you the reality is that real estate's a business where it's like, we need good professionals to lift up other good professionals because, you know, having good representation matters. So it's, I'm all about having good relationships with people. I also think it's kind of funny because obviously there are other realtors that advertise on this show as well. Um, one of them's Aaron Pagnano. Yep. And uh, what did I tell you when you guys first cut his ad? Oh man, Ryan was saying realtor. Was saying the word wrong. <laughs> this I was a big point of culture. I was like, look, if you're going to have other realtors <laughs> advertising the show, at least say it correctly. Uh, it's right. It's absolutely right. Well, it's been fun having you in here, man. You're a great guy to have a conversation with, and you're absolutely welcome back. We will certainly uh, in 2021 be having Mike Nugent in the studio more often than not. But uh, parting gift here, I guess we've got about a minute and a half left. What impact do you think that 95 national championship team had on Montana? I mean, did, it, was this the bar setter? This, this Grizz Grits podcast series? It seems to me like this is where everything changed. Grizz football became oh, elite absolutely. at that moment. I mean, it, it switched. I think it, be, it went from like what could be and what been building to, right. wow, we can be one of the elites in this level of college football. I mean, no doubt. Like, that's a pretty simple question. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's fascinating that the, the expectations went from, you know, the plugging along to then the, the very next year, sky high, and they've been that high ever since. And that, I think 96 is one of the best teams ever. They're that's just, what's so interesting about this podcast series. Moss, you know? well, truly, every guy that's been involved in this podcast series, they have all said, we actually were better in 94 and 96. Mm-hmm. 94, Dave Dickinson got hurt. And then they got wiped by a Youngstown State team that ended up winning three national championships. And then in 96 is Randy Moss. All right. So I know we're up against it. And this is a radio thing. I heard your boss is listening. So I'm just going to put it out there. I'm available next week. We can make this work. I'll find another person. Coulter needs to take time off. I'm here. So I'm just throwing it out there. Wide open. Christmas week with the Nuge. That'd be, that would be stellar. That would be spectacular. I wouldn't want you to have to deal with next gen. But other than that, I think you could steer the ship. Hey, thanks so much for being with us. We're back at it tomorrow. It's the opening of the national. It's finally starting to feel like winter around here. And if you need some nice winter gear, how about the fine folks at Sitka? They make awesome winter clothes. And they sell custom Bobcat Sitka gear at the MSU Bookstore. You can shop online anytime at msubookstore.org. Or, of course, you can check out the MSU Bookstore live and in person there on the Montana State campus. They also have some graduation regalia back in order there at the MSU Bookstore. They have an awesome American Indian Council selection as well. Visit on campus anytime you need blue and gold or visit online anytime, anywhere, msubookstore.org. MSU Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day located there on the Montana State campus.